This is the current federal tax developments for the week of March the 29th, 2021. Current federal tax developments are brought to you by Kaplan Financial Education and by your state society of CPAs. I'm Ed Zollers, broadcasting this week from, again, Phoenix, Arizona, as working my way through the remainder of, well, what was the original tax season, now I guess is kind of the last uh, month and a half here will be starting of tax season, at least for the 1040 side of the equation. And a lot of it is because, of course, we've had changes and changes continue to happen. I'm going to talk this week about a major change the IRS very quietly made in the computation of excludable unemployment under the American Rescue Program Act. So we're going to talk about basically, you know, what changed and, you know, the significance of it and the fact that your software, if it was updated before this change came down the 23rd, probably computed at least some returns in error, or certainly would have if you have the ones that fall in the right category. And you may have a problem of one that you thought had determined unemployment was taxable under the new rules that probably made the wrong determination. We'll talk a little bit about how we get there. Also, Congress was not done this week. It's still not officially signed into law as of today. I'm recording this on Saturday. Uh, but it was transmitted to the president on Friday. We now have an extension of the PPP loan program that will extend the loan program for two months. And, well, two months for applications, three months for SBA approval of loans. However, turns out we also had testimony this week that the funding would run out the middle of April anyway. So, yeah, who knows how long a real extension we have or if Congress plans to add to that funding when they get back from their current vacation. And finally, we'll talk about an IRS announcement late in the week that uh, ruled that if you had purchased personal protective equipment to control the spread of COVID-19 during 2020, and I think a lot of us have purchased this kind of stuff, uh, that it will qualify as a deductible medical expense. Okay, probably not that big a deal for most of us who don't have 7.5% of AGI spent on medical costs. But it also means that it could be reimbursed out of a health savings account, a flexible spending account, or health reimbursement arrangement could allow for paying for this stuff. So we may have some other options to get reimbursed for some of those items. We'll just talk about our options as we get there. So with that, let's go ahead and go to the first thing. And this was one that appeared quietly on the morning of the 23rd. That is last Tuesday. And it really just appeared on the IRS website that we had discussed earlier. Last week's program, we talked about on the 12th that the IRS had posted revised instructions for line 7 and 8 of Schedule 1, Form 1040, related to the new rules that were put in the American Recovery Program Act related to exclusion for unemployment for individuals who had modified AGI of $150,000 or less. And the March 12th worksheet told us how to compute if somebody's modified AGI was at that $150,000 limit or if it was above that limit. So it was an insignificant item because obviously those that were above the limit, they were going to have to pay tax on their unemployment. Those below the limit would be able to exclude it in the entirety, and it is a cliff cutoff. So 
You know, it's one of those things where you go a dollar over, you get no exclusion, you're a dollar under, you get full exclusion. And the original worksheet, the original worksheet published on March 12th, the IRS told us that in computing whether we had $150,000 of modified AGI, that we should assume the unemployment was taxable. So that meant very simple fact pattern. We have $145,000 of salary, no other items on of income on the return. We got paid $10,000 of unemployment. In the March 12th worksheet, our modified AGI would have been $155,000. You know, it didn't matter our filing status, but let's take this person as single just to make it put something out there. So this person would be at $155,000, single filing status. That would mean that their modified AGI was more than $150,000. That would mean that the $10,000 of unemployment would stay on the return as taxable. Now the IRS, on the morning of March 23rd, changed their reading of Section 85C. And it becomes interesting how 85C reads. And it says that we are to compute modified AGI without regard to this section. Now, the problem, of course, is what exactly did that mean? The IRS had taken it to mean that we compute modified AGI without regard to 85C, which tells us how we exclude that from income. However, if you think about the way that's worded, the section in question is section 85, not 85C. Now comes the interesting theoretical question. While section 85 tells us clearly unemployment is taxable, if Section 85 was not there, would unemployment be taxable? That gets to an interesting back and forth looking at the general rule under 61 that any amounts received by you generally are considered to be income. And the flip side of that, though, is a rule often brought up, a doctrine uh, brought up quite often, which is the general welfare exception. That if an item, if a payment is made to an individual that is meant to advance the general welfare overall, it's under a program to advance the general welfare of society as a whole, shall we say, something like that, that that would be considered excludable. So various relief payments to people for various disasters, etc., have been excluded under the general welfare provision. And that was true even before we got Section 139, which is the very one, one very specifically tied to various disasters or certain other situations. Well, so the question is, would it be taxable or not? Well, if you buy the theory that if we didn't have Section 85, unemployment would be taxable, because the flip side of that is, too, is no, it's not general welfare. It's paid by employer funds who are paying for insurance with what's effectively a pre-tax benefit for the employee. And so you could view it as compensation. But let's go down the theory that it would be excludable. If it would be excludable it would, it would, without regard, if it would be excludable, I should say, if we didn't have Section 85 that said very specifically you have to pick it up as income, then conceivably, if we compute modified AGI without regard to this section, the entire Section 85, then the entire Section 85 would say it could be taxable. If 85 wasn't there, the theory might be it wouldn't be taxable at all. In any event, the IRS now decides 
that in computing modified AGI, you exclude not just up to 10,002 of unemployment, but in fact, all unemployment income is excluded from modified AGI. So now go back to our example, that single individual, 145,000 worth of salary, $10,000 worth of unemployment. That person now take the 10,000 out, their modified AGI is 145,000. They're allowed to exclude that 10,000. As I noted, a lot of tax software put out various updates. I was kind of following along as various software vendors released updates. Now, two major vendors that didn't, two major products I know that were not updated prior to the 23rd release were CCH's Pro System FX and Access, and those two are very, very close relative, shall we say. And then uh, UltraTax from Thomson Reuters was also not updated by that point. Now, the CCH one, honestly, being a CCH user for many years, wouldn't really have surprised me because they have a very fixed update schedule. Uh, and so this would have been scheduled a couple of weeks out anyway. So bottom line, I wouldn't have expected them to have an update out that quickly. But we talked about Thomson Reuters and UltraTax, which is what we switched to last year. They are usually very quick on updates. In fact, updates come fast and furious, which they did late. They did the day after this, or basically two days after this, I guess it was, that we started seeing those updates on Thursday and Friday that effectively related to a lot of the stuff that's come on recently. In any event, those other products that updated based on March 12th, now you've got to keep your eye out for any updates that are to now change from the March 12th worksheet in computing unemployment that is taxable to the March 23rd one, at least for anybody who is very close to the modified AGI limit. Certainly, if you released any returns to clients after March 12th that had unemployment on them and the unemployment was not excluded, you might want to double check especially if those returns have not yet been ones the clients have accepted and have been transmitted on, you might tell the client to hold off on accepting. You may need to rerun them if you have new software or when the new software comes out. But be aware of that. It is a little bit messy. The other issue, and this one I got asked, I'm not sure how it's going to get resolved. Been asked by a couple of people, well, what happens if, let's say, this unemployment rule, and even the original one. What happens if you were above the limitation? So let's say now well, under the new one is where it's got most often. You know, previously you had 147000 of unemployment or $147,000 of income. You're married. You had unemployment uh, on top of that of, you know, each of you got unemployment. So the two spouses, let's say, had 15000 each one 7500 under the, you know, our payments that we're going to get this year for under 2020's rules for the third stimulus payment, that taxpayer, let's assume the 2019, their income was much higher. They couldn't qualify because they're above 160 for 19. And originally, when you filed the 2020 return, they were also going to be able to phase out level at 160,000, you know, once you included the unemployment. But now we take the unemployment out, they drop back below that limitation. And remember, we were supposed to get a recalculated 
amount of our stimulus payment based on the 2020 return if we you know that that we filed and got processed before the IRS is cut off now what'll be interesting and we have no statement from the service yet is the IRS going to remember they're going to go back and correct these returns they told us and get the unemployment reduced are they going to wait for the corrected returns and use that to send out that extra payment or are they going to just use the first filed return, in which case then the couple I just mentioned will not get a stimulus payment? Rather, and if 2021, you know, they bounce back, have a good year, they may never get the stimulus payment. Again, that one the IRS has not discussed yet. So in any event, now this is something I've complained about before when the IRS does this guidance by website. And this illustrates a problem that a lot of people have with this sort of guidance. That is, the IRS can change things without notice and at times when they think something might attract the wrong type of attention, they do just what they did in this case. They made a change that was likely to upset people who had already acted on the original worksheet and decided they were going to have to pay tax on it. I mean, it's good news. They're now going to you know, get the refund. But the bad news is if they filed their return in the interim and pay tax on that, they're going to have to wait for the IRS now to process a refund on them. So they put it on the website just very quietly. And it's also a little concerning because I don't know how quickly everybody figured out that the rules had changed. I'm certain more than a few preparers, even today, were unaware of the change that was made in the computation. And if you don't read your software updates very carefully in your tax software, I'm certainly there are going to be preparers that might not notice it was doing it subtly differently on the first version the software came out with after March 12th. And then this version that came out after the 23rd announcement. But just be aware, unemployment has changed in how it's computed. Well, Congress decided one law change uh, recently wasn't enough. We're now going to do a law change related to the Paycheck Protection Program loans. And what Congress is doing now is deciding that maybe they didn't really leave enough time for the program when they extended it back at the end of December. If you remember, the original PPP loan program and PPP2 loans you were having to apply and get your loan by March 31st. Obviously, we are now rapidly approaching that date. March 31st comes Wednesday. And now there have been a lot of people complaining that because of the SBA's systems they're now using to try to check and cut down on fraud, because there was a lot of complaints about fraud in the initial program, that those fraud checks have slowed up the process so much that appears that a lot of people who applied for loans, they just may not even be through the process of getting their loan by March 31st, at which point the SBA wasn't going to be allowed to issue the money. So it was a lot of people saying, essentially, or a lot of complaining had gone on, that we need more time. There also are, with changes in the rules that allowed self-employed to get larger amounts of the loan. Some of those people are coming involved. We're seeing other rules in place. Now, what happened in this case is we can apply through May 31st. At least that's what the law says. 
So we're allowed to apply. So instead of March 31st becoming the deadline for putting application in for a PPP loan, the application deadline has moved to May 31st. The SBA, previously, we've always had that end of program date just as a fixed number, which means that you could apply, but you had to apply and get your loan approved before the program ended, which meant that the actual date you had to apply by was not real clear as to how you had to apply to get it into the system. This is supposedly going to hopefully work to make it a bit clearer that applications can be accepted through May 31st, and the SBA can then approve any applications that are in at May 31st through the end of June. Now, it's not clear how they're going to interpret that and whether banks are still going to put together a, well, you still got to have it in by a week earlier or we're not going to worry about it type of system that very well could happen in this regard. Now, all of this is well and good, but there are a couple of issues. One of which is we had testimony uh, from an SBA official this week before Congress that we are expected to run out of funding for this program by the middle of April. So the problem is, even though in theory we've extended the application date through the end of May, and the date the SBA could approve a loan through the end of June, it's very possible that we're going to run out of money. Now, the timing of this becomes interesting because Congress is intending to, you know, is on recess again, you know, kind of their Easter recess, and they'll come back in the middle of April, just about the time the program would run out of money. Is Congress going to re-up the funds? We don't know. And if they don't, then this extension may be very, very short, a two-week extension for practical purposes. So keep your eye on that. Certainly, if a client wants to apply for a loan, I would try to get it in very, very quickly, either the PPP or the second draw. Get it in immediately because I think you're going to need to have it in place well before you know, the May 31st date that this law has implied. Another thing I should note, there was a lot of discussion, especially in the Senate, that they would amend this bill to do various things. Again, we ran into the fact that Congress was leaving town. So they did not, in this bill, change the rules to allow a sole proprietor who had already gotten their you know, max loan based on net income to get an additional draw for the amount of gross in, the amount of extra loan they would have qualified for had they used gross income. Remember, it won't make a difference if a Schedule C share of Schedule C owners bottom line was above hundred thousand, because hundred thousand is still your cap for income in either case. But it would make a difference if you had somebody, let's say, who had broke even or had a loss in the year, but had enough revenue to be over hundred thousand, they could not get their twenty thousand eight thirty three. Well, if they instead accepted, let's say, a smaller loan, like a $3,000 loan under the program, and it's already been dispersed, then you're basically out of luck for reapplication. They did not add any provision related to that to the final bill. So we don't have any relief in that realm. We don't have any relief where partners you know, are going to be able to get access to this as well, or S-Corp shareholders, uh, owners. There's nothing of that sort in the bill. Uh, some other changes had been discussed. Again, none of those changes. This bill is extraordinarily simple. 
it just pushes you to March. It just pushes it to May 31st and then allows the SBA. It basically it pushes it to June 30, but then says for the last month, all the SBA can do is process existing applications, issued money. So they don't accept applications in that final month. So again, the loan program, it's continued, but we need to watch funding to see whether we're really going to get all the way to the end of May and then disbursements to the end of June. Final issue this week, we have an IRS announcement, 2021-7. Uh, this was issued on, it will be March 26th of 2021. And what this comes down, the IRS in this ruling, it's a very short two-page ruling, announcement I should say, they provided that if you purchase personal protective equipment that was intended to control the spread of COVID-19, then that will be treated as essentially a payment for medical care. So a payment to purchase this stuff. Now, at the examples of the type of say PPE that will qualify, and the list is not necessarily exclusive, but it does mean these for sure qualify. Anything else is going to be subject to a long discussion. So they said mask would qualify. So any type of protective mask, uh, you know, we've had a lot of masking mandates around the country. So if you've gone out and you've been buying, let's say, masks for employees, but not employees for yourself, uh, you know, your own mask, that will be considered to be a deductible medical expense. As well, if you've been buying hand sanitizer, as you may remember, early on in this uh, situation, we had a lot of push to sanitize everything. Uh, that's been kind of backed off of recently because we've now determined that most likely the spread of this COVID-19 is more through an aerosol. It's not so much through surfaces, contaminated surfaces. Uh, and, you know, and while cleaning your hands is a good cleanliness and, uh, you know, hygiene, idea and yes it will help your health in other areas like the flu um, it's also probably not as crucial for preventing COVID-19 spread as we thought before but still we get that and we also get uh, the sanitizing wipes which now of course you can buy if you remember early on in the pandemic getting Lysol wipes was it took a lot of luck to find the Lysol wipes on a store shelf uh, you know, and be able to get your Lysol wipes. But nevertheless, those are now part of it. Now, for most of us, not terribly helpful, though, because if the, all we get is a deduction for this as medical care, well, that means it's got we've got to itemize, which vast majority of taxpayers here no longer do. Secondly, if we do itemize, we have to have total medical expenses in excess of 7% of AGI. And that's a minority of people who do mitomize will have that met as well. You know, so basically it's like for a lot of taxpayers, this wouldn't be a big deal unless you bought a lot of face masks. And I know some people tried a bunch of different masks, uh, but yeah, unless you were really buying a lot and a lot of hand sanitizer, uh, you know, probably by itself won't be enough to give you a benefit. But what this does mean, and the announcement goes on and reminds us of this, is these amounts and these items could also be eligible for reimbursement by a health flexible spending account, by a health reimbursement arrangement of an employer, or medical savings accounts, if you have one of those, or health savings accounts. 
the MSAs, the HSAs that you may have personally. So all of these can be reimbursed out of those. Now, again, for many of these, we are looking at employer plans that are going to be involved with requiring certain, certain requirements. So the IRS recognizes that as currently written, some plans might not allow for these to be used as reimbursable items, but they did say, okay, employers, if you want to go ahead and add these back in, if you want to go ahead and let your employees get reimbursed for these items, uh, we will allow you to do that without worrying for the moment about the fact that, that your plans don't allow for this. As long as you agree to update and you know have a retroactive amendment to your plan adopted by the end of the year after the year in which this is applied. So if you're a calendar year taxpayer and you're going to allow it for 20 and 21, then that means we're going to need to have our amendment in place by the end December 31st of 2022 to retroactively allow for these amounts to be reimbursed by the program. Most HSAs, obviously, if they're individual account HSAs, those shouldn't have a big problem. And I guess MSAs, too, if you've got those accounts that are individual, you really should have a problem there that should be allowed for those. And in fact, that could justify you taking funds out of those accounts tax-free is the background for that. So it is there. But the delayed plan amendment, like I said, it allows employers who want to to go back and you know say, we're going to modify our plans. We're going to let things happen here. And we're going to do this a little differently going forward. So in any event, we now have this for purchase of PPE. Now, the other thing I want to quote, talk about just briefly here, we're right toward the end, is I will say we are still sitting here at nearly the end of March. And while the IRS told us a couple of weeks ago that we were going to get an extension to May 17th, they have still not officially told us how we're getting there. While we strongly believe they're going to get there by using 7508 cap A, we haven't been told for sure yet that's what they're going to do. And we're going to start to run into some issues on this. First, we're going to run into issues because things like IRA contributions for 2020 and maybe HSA contributions for 2020, deductible contributions in both cases, well, those need to be made by the original due date of the return without extensions. If 7508A is used, then effectively June 15th becomes that original due date without regard to extensions. So we'd have another month to make the contribution. And the IRS has indicated informally, at least in a couple of venues, that certain IRS personnel have indicated that, oh, yeah, 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 those have been extended. Those will be extended as part of this. But we don't yet have the formal guidance. My advice to any taxpayer in this case, and my advice I'd give to the clients is, and I was just talking to a client this week who's looking at making their contribution to the Roth IRA. And I was saying, well, you know, while I think we probably have until May 17th, it'd be a lot better for us to get it done by April 15th, just so we don't have a problem with this. And to be honest, it's better to fund as early as you can just to get the, you know, the tax-free growth inside the Roth IRA rather than having it outside in a taxable account and getting taxed on all of that income being generated. But in any event, you know, watch out for that. The other problem is we still do not have all the states on board with May 17th. 
I believe I saw this week that Hawaii I saw on a Twitter post uh, is not moving their date. They've got a weird date anyway, but they're not going to move it. So it'll still be, I think, April 30th will be their date, not May 17th. Uh, my home state of Arizona has still not moved their date. Uh, and it's in a weird scenario of trying to get through the state legislature. Uh, legislatures decided to take it on this year. We'll see how well that works. So be careful watching at the states. Again, and don't forget, we did not extend trusts to state income tax returns, trust income tax returns, nor did we extend calendar year C corporations. All of those remain due on April 15th, along with the first estimate. So there's definitely still an April 15th deadline as things exist today. Well, this has been the current federal tax developments for this week of March the 29th, 2021. Uh, current federal tax developments brought to you, as I noted at the beginning, by Kaplan Financial Education and by your state society of CPAs. Uh, we are getting to the point of year we're going to start actually booking CPE work. I am going to be doing a course for New Jersey on Tuesday. That will be a four-hour tax update. Uh, related to what's happened essentially during tax season. Large part of that is obviously going to be the American, you know, American Recovery Program Act or Plan Act, forget the title, which P they put in there, uh, of 2021, talking about what's changed there and what we need to do about it. Uh, but also other things, the late filing relief, uh, the PP loan program changes and all those sorts of things. So we'll be talking about that on Tuesday. So if you're listening to it early enough, there's still time to go to NJCPA and uh, sign up for that course. We'll be doing other continuing education courses, again, as tax season ends. So I want to look forward to seeing you guys there. If you have any questions, you can write me at zollers at currenttaxdevelopments.com. I try to check in there. It's a little hectic this time of year because I also have a bunch of clients who kind of want their returns done. So I have a little fun this time of year with that. Uh, I also watch the uh, online postings, try to keep some eye on them, on the online postings from the Connect sites in Arizona, New Jersey, Illinois, Washington, Minnesota to some extent to see how things are going. So if you're a member of one of those societies, you can post there. And if I get a chance, I will try to respond to those who are posting. Otherwise, we're entering April. And while April 15th is, again, not going to quite be what April 15th normally is. And one interesting thing I noticed is that April 15th now, you know, it's going to come up this year. It'll be on a Thursday. That means next year it goes to Friday. So the two years where April 15th would have been on April 15th are both going to be years where we didn't have that. So we're going to go a long time between the last time we really ended individual taxis on April 15th and the next time we do so, we're going to look at that into the future a ways again. So, you know, we may be cursed, may never see April 15th as a deadline again. We'll keep our eye on that. But, you know, we'll keep working. As I said, we still have lots of other entity types that have April 15th as a deadline. We still have the estimates. So we'll try to keep up, let you know what else happens, if anything, in IRS guidance, court cases and the like. And just hopefully keep ourselves busy and get ourselves through the original April 15th date, and then start readying ourselves for the new May 15th date. And we'll be coming back here every week to give you more items and more updates here on current federal tax developments.